Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean starts a new two-part series called Joyful Generosity. Well, good morning. It is a gift to be here. I was not here last week. I was extremely sick, and I was watching online, and I just have to say that I love this church, and I love the people that make this church up. And as we gather in the weeks ahead, moving towards Christmas, uh, my heart is full of what God wants us to do and wants us to experience. Um, For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at joyful generosity, and then we're going to jump into a series working through the Gospel of Luke all the way from Advent until Easter. And so I'm excited about where we're going to be moving as a church family. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the idea of generosity. This morning, we're going to look at generosity from the Old Testament, and next week, we're going to look at generosity through the lens of the Gospels and the New Testament. And then the following, we're going to begin a several-month study of the Gospel of Luke as we move towards Easter in light of Christmas together. So that's where we're going to be going as a church family. And as we get started this morning, I know that any time we start talking about generosity, people have a couple responses like, oh, no, we're going to talk about money, or I don't really, what does it have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. It was joyfully generous of him to send his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. So as we think about the idea of generosity, I want you to know that this is not about you or me. This is not for you or for me exclusively. This is for us and the church together to remember holistically the whole counsel of God's word of why giving and generosity and our faith, they are inseparable. God sees our giving and our resources and our faith as integrated and holistically. And so when we think about giving, this is not, well, I hope you sure do give more. I don't want anyone to walk away feeling guilty or coerced. I want you to feel struck by awe that God would be so gracious to us. How could we not? Why would we not want to give everything we have in the name of Jesus? So this is, I hope, going to be an encouragement for those of you that are experiencing the joy of generosity. And I hope this will be a gentle equipping moment for those of you who are afraid of generosity or experiencing financial stress or fear about this. And even if young and old alike, all of us have a response to give before God. And as we talk about that worship is our whole life response to who Jesus is and what he has done, that giving is a part of our worship and that finances and faith, those things go hand in hand together. And I want you to see and be encouraged in the whole of scripture of why this is for your joy and for the good of your life. And so my heart is real clear in this moment that we would be encouraged and equipped to be joyfully uh, generous people. The Bible contains more than 2,000 references on wealth and money because the way we handle our resources is connected to our relationship with God. So I want to just ask you two beginning questions. Do you believe, do you trust that God is your provider, that what you have is from him, and that you are to be a steward of the resource that he's given you. So number one, do you trust God to be your provider? Maybe the more pertinent question is, do you trust that God's plan for giving is greater than your plan or capacity for giving? Do you trust that the DNA, the architecture that God has put in place for giving, do you trust that God's plan is better than your idea or willingness to give? Again, he's our perfect, loving father, and when he puts something into our lives, it's for our good and for his glory. 
As I said earlier, we're looking at the Old Testament today in the biblical history of humanity. Where does giving begin in the Bible? What does God have to say? It is not the complete picture this morning, okay? We're just going to be in the Old Testament, but it's a critical starting point, and I want you to see it has nothing to do with the law. It has everything to do with his relationship with people. So in Genesis, you're going to turn to a couple places. Let me just walk through Genesis for a moment with you. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the first offering, and we see that both Cain and Abel present an offering to God. However, Abel's offering was more pleasing to God. If you want to go and study that, that's in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. But this is before the law. Okay, This is the first instance we see in Scripture where an offering to God is more or less acceptable. Now, in the story of Abram, which will later become Abraham, in Genesis 14, we see Abram or Abraham give 10% to the priest of God and the remaining 90% to the people. It's the first occasion in Scripture where the recognition that all resources truly are from him and belong to him. That story is in Genesis chapter 14. And then in Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob's conditional response to God that after God has promised to be by Jacob's side, that Jacob says, God, if you do these things and you will be my, then, then I will give 10%. So we see the sin of man beginning to enter into, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. We see these if and conditional statements about giving, and we see that in the story of Jacob. That's in Genesis chapter 28. Again, all this was before the law was given to Moses. So we see this idea of recognizing in Scripture early on that the resources come from him and there is a human response of generosity back to him. But I hope this will be encouraging for you. In Numbers chapter 18, there is the Levitical tithe. And I know that's a fun word. Let's say Levitical together. But the Levitical tithe was 10% of their resources to support the Levites. Well, who are the Levites? The Levites are the temple servants that were supported by the rest of the Israelite tribes. They were the ministers, and the Levites would then pay a separate tithe to the priests. Okay, so in Numbers 18, there is a Levitical tithe, so that's one 10% tithe. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and chapter 14 and chapter 26, there was also a festival tithe. That's different than the Levitical tithe. But in Deuteronomy, we see this is another tithe, another 10% giving on top of the other 10% giving, and that 10% giving was used to host the Feast of Tabernacles to remember God's rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So you're like, wait a minute, there's more than one tithe? There's more than one tithe. It's more than 10%, more than 10%. In fact, some biblical scholars say the Israelites tithed 23% of their income, and that was before their free will offerings. The generosity has nothing to do with tithing. This is acts of obedience among the people of God. Now, turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And I want you to hear ultimately God's heart for you and for me in giving. We're going to look at the entire chapter together. And I'm going to begin in Deuteronomy 26, beginning in verse 1. It says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and when you've taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit on the ground. If you've got your Bible, Go on and underline some of the first of all. Some of the first of all. You shall take some of the first of the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land, that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. I want you to see something that happens. 
When you get there, bring the very first thing you see, the first part of your harvest, set it aside and put it where you want his name to be. Do you hear that principle? Take the first of your fruits, set it aside and put it in a place where you want the name of the Lord to be recognized. Verse three, and you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I've come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then the priest will take the basket of those first fruits from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Notice that they did not give what was left over. They did not give the last. In fact, they gave the first of their fruits. And they gave the first of their fruits to ultimately land before the altar of God. It was an act of worship, not of guilt and manipulation. It was an act of worship to say, we want your name to be great here. Continue on, it says, and you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there. And few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. He says, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. I want you to underline, and now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground. I'm bringing my first and I'm bringing my best, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, to you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. I want you to see the connection between setting apart your first and best and rejoicing in the good that God has done. Again, bring your first, bring your best, and connect it to your joy. Bring your first and rejoice in what God has done. There's a pattern here that we've got to see, bringing our first and our best and rejoicing in all that God has done. Verse 12, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commandments that you have commanded me. And I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning or removed any of it while I was unclean or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel, the ground you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, I have done everything that you have asked of me. Verse 16, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statues and rule. And you will be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You will be careful to give with your heart and with your soul. This is not just rote, scripted behavior. I want you to give with your heart and with your soul. Verse 17, you have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. See this, giving 
is connected to saying he is your God. Giving is connected to you saying he is your God. Verse 17 again, you have declared today by giving that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. But listen to the next part. This is the heart of our father for us. And the Lord has declared today, you are a people for his treasured possession. And as he has promised you and that you are able to keep all his commandments and he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. How encouraging is that? That giving is not just something that we do, but giving is a part of our identity as his people. And that in giving, we are reminded that we, in fact, are his treasured possession. And I don't know where you are in the whole spectrum of giving or generosity or tithing. That's really not my business, but I will say this. It is your business before the Lord. And it is connected to your relationship with him. And you cannot follow Christ and not respond in joyful generosity. Those two things don't go together. And as you think about this, I want you to go, you're not giving out of guilt. You're giving because you are his treasured possession. And you're giving because you're declaring that he is your God and that you want to walk with him. That's very, very freeing. And what happens when we yield our lives to him saying that he is our God? Then things like financial stress, which is real, moves from the hands of a worried human into the sovereignty of a loving, perfect God. And if you find yourself in financial difficulty, there's no better place to go than God. If you find yourself in the middle of duress, you need to go to the one who can truly give you rest. And you need to chart a course for your life to be able to say, I want to walk in joyful generosity before you, O God, because I want to declare that you are my God as you have declared that I am your treasured possession. It goes together. Here's the principle that I want you to hear as they were looking back at their history in Egypt. The people of God remembered They remembered what God had done and they were released to operate in generosity. They remembered what God had done. Therefore, they were released and redeemed to give all that they wanted to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, there was another tithe. It was called the charity tithe. So you're like, there's three tithes? There are three tithes. Charity tithe. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, this was another 10% tithe on the third and the sixth year of a seven-year cycle for Egypt that was used to support foreigners, orphans, widows, and additional resources to the Levites. So this biblical scholar, as they were adding these up, it says it looks like that the Israelites tithed 23% of their income. That's way different than I'll give 2% or 1%. No, the Israelites connected giving with their identity as the people of God. But I want you to see holistically, too, there are other places in Scripture that talk beyond tithing. Exodus chapter 22 and 23 talks to the Israelites about ensuring provision, justice, and opportunity for the poor. In Leviticus chapter 25, there's instruction to protect and support the poor. In the year of Jubilee, this is a wonderful thing if you've never studied, but the year of Jubilee was when debts were canceled and indentured servants were set free to go back to the possession of their fathers. 
The year of Jubilee was celebrated because that's the year in the history and the cycle of Israel's calendar where debts were canceled and indentured servants were released back to their family. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, there's a series of commands to care for the poor and specifically to care for the poor in your community. If you've read the book of Ruth, you understand that Boaz treats Ruth with generous kindness. And in fact, in Leviticus 19, you see this passage where it says the poor can harvest wheat on the edges of their field. We see that happening in the story of Ruth. And we see Leviticus chapter 19 being lived out in that story. In the book of Job, we see God's ultimate sovereignty over wealth and life itself. And we see in the life of Job that despite great suffering and loss, Job uses his wealth generously and does not place his ultimate security in what he possessed. He yielded his life to God. In Psalm 37, we see that righteousness is more important than wealth. In Psalm 112, it says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Wealth and riches are in his house. He has a steady heart, is not afraid, and distributes freely, giving to the poor. In Habakkuk, it's, we're reminded we are to trust God and rejoice even when the olive trees fail and there's no fruit from the fields. Even then, yet, I will praise you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles. That was our call to worship this morning. We can look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and I want you again to hear this relationship between remembering and giving. 1 Chronicles 29, it was our call to worship this morning, but I want us to come back to it again together, beginning in verse 10. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all in your hand our power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Just put your finger there for a moment. They are remembering who God is and what he has done. They are preparing their hearts for an offering, but they are preparing the heart for an offering by remembering who he is. Again, I remember, and therefore I will bring my first and best to you, God. Think practically for a moment. When you give, do you take time to remember what he has done and who he is? Is it just another line item in your budget or do you remember what he has done? The fact that you don't deserve a thing, I don't deserve a thing. Do you remember all that he has given you in the gospel so that joy is connected to writing that check? If we don't remember what he has done, we're just paying bills. And he is not a bill to be paid. He is the king of glory to be adored and honored. And I want you to find greater joy in your giving and the path to joy is remembering. Let's continue to read. Verse 14, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. All things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. 
and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart, that you have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. That's the outcome of joyful generosity, offering freely and joyously giving to God. Turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. This is another scenario where we see the invitation in the Old Testament about giving and how it's connected to God's promise of faithfulness. Malachi chapter 3, it's towards the middle of the Bible. This is beginning in verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord your God, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So again, we see history unfolding, and we see some people becoming reticent and hesitant about giving. We see the sin of man creeping in as they wait for the longing of a Savior who would set them free. And the Lord says, return to me because you have strayed from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, well, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord says, in your tithes, and contributions. You were cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And when confronted, how should we return to you? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's the story of the situation where people have strayed from God and the solution to returning to God is tithing. Why? Because tithing loosens the grip of selfishness. It loosens the grip of materialism. It loosens the grip of I'm in control of my life. And it says, return to me and I will return to you. How do we do that, God? By bringing the full tithe into the storehouse. And he says, and put me to the test. When you bring that in, see if there ultimately is no more need. I remember last year when we were working through this series together, I spent tens of hours researching from cover to cover what does giving look like in Scripture. And I realized in my own giving that I had put my giving in a place where I didn't think about it anymore. I was giving. I just wasn't actively thinking about my giving. And I had to rearrange how I gave and in some ways, what I gave and when I gave so that my giving could be connected to worship. It's a joyous thing. But I just want you to know we don't get there without intention. We don't get there without thinking it through. When I give, how do I give? And what is my joyful response in my giving? And what happens when I don't give? What happens in my heart if I don't give, if I don't yield those things first? And what can I trust of God to be true as I give? And what can I believe him for greater than what I can see, especially in the months where things are tight? And what do I do? Do I give God from what is left over or do I bring my first and my best and trust him with the rest? 
And see, our culture, our society says, well, give if you've got anything left. That's cool. But that's not the way of Scripture. Bring the first of your fruits before the altar so that you can make his name great there. Bring the full amount in so that you can return to me. This is not about salvation. This is a reflection of who we are as God's people. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more. That's not the point. There's nothing you could do to be more righteously accepted in Christ than what Christ has done for you. That's not the point. The point is that your giving is connected to your heart, and when your heart is connected to God, you walk in joyful generosity. And when you're holding on to the very thing he's given you, you're saying, it's better in my hands than in your kingdom. It's better in my possession than to freely give to you. And that is wrong. It's sin. It's not trusting in the sovereignty of God. Let's look at Proverbs. Jack, as you dedicated your son Ezra a couple weeks ago, um, you read this proverb over your son, and I want us to end on this proverb because it's the heart of a father. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and this is where we will conclude our time this morning. Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, do not forget my teaching." But let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and the years of life and peace, they will add to you. Verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse five, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, and whom he delights. Be not wise in your own eyes, but rather fear the Lord. Joyful generosity is our response to who God is and what he has done. Next week when we look at the gospels, when we look at what Jesus taught about money, when we look at the practice of the early church, it will be such an encouragement to you. But I want you to know, even as we end with the promise of a Savior, that there is this word is so applicable for us. My question for you this morning is, what does it look like for you and me to bring our first and best to God? When you give, what does it look like for you to bring your first and best to God? Because it says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The first fruits offering, here's the thing. It says we trust you, God. Help us harvest the rest. Think about that. The first fruits offering is what first falls on the ground, but harvest is months away. It's the initial offering of God. This is what I see coming in. Therefore, I'm bringing my first and best to you. It's not the leftover late harvest offering. It's not at the end of harvest offering. It's the first fruits offering that says, here's what I see to be happening in this field of produce. I'm bringing my first and best to you. 
help me harvest the rest all season. There's a principle there that should be helpful for you. He should be the first to whom you give. Your offering should be first to him. The giving of the first fruits made an important statement from the Israelites to God. They said, we give our first and best to you, Lord, because we recognize that all good things come from you. Today, the term tithing is used erroneously of all giving. A tithe literally means a tenth part, whereas giving is a different amount or a different percentage. And the idea of a free will offering was in addition to tithing and first fruits. Those free will offerings, those occur in Exodus 22, Numbers 15, and Deuteronomy 12. It says, all who were willing brought the Lord free will offerings. That's in Exodus 35. And you're like, wait a minute. So there's a, a 10% tithe and a 10% tithe and another 10% tithe, and then there's free will offerings, apparently. And you're like, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know, but I know that he's good. And I know that his plan for our lives is good. And I know that I can trust God with my finances, and I know that you can trust God with your finances. And when it comes to joyful generosity, that is a mark of maturity for every believer. And if you're not there yet today, there is grace and mercy for you, but there might be less joy in giving as well. And if you want greater joy in giving, then give according to what he has instructed. This is a reflection of the gospel. It's not the substance of a gospel. It's not the condition of the gospel. You are loved and safe and secure in the kingdom of Jesus forever, whether you give or not. He gave so that you could be alive in him forever. The more you know and trust God, the more that giving and generously giving will be a part of your life because you find that you can trust him. And can we be real? Sometimes, even when we give sacrificially, we feel it. I assure you the Israelites felt it. That's why in Malachi, he said, you've, you've turned away from me. You've abandoned my statues. How do we come back to you, God? Start tithing again. That, that's how you come back to me. And the thing about this is this is a hard word sometimes because we live in a consumeristic culture that says if you don't have more and you don't have best and you don't have better, you don't have at all. Let me just say you do have best. You do have better. You do have Jesus. In light of grace, why would we give any less than to those who are under the law? Like in light of the gospel, why would we give less than those who had yet to encounter the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. I remember when I taught through this last year, I, it was a holy fear upon me. I mean, I, I labored and labored over this sermon series because it's the first time in my adulthood and ministry where I sat in this particular chair and had to ask the question, what kind of church are we gonna be? Can I just tell you some incredible things that should encourage you? This church practices joyful generosity. We are here because of the joyful generosity of God's people. You are not alone if you decide, I want to be joyfully generous and give according to God's plan. It is a wonderful, joyful thing to be a part of church planting, and it requires all of us to walk in the spirit of joyful generosity. Now, I can just tell you, it is such an encouragement to see how this church family is giving. If you're new to this whole idea, please, please try to elevate this question above this moment and ask yourself the question, in my life, what do I want to be known for? I want to be known to be a joyfully generous Christ follower. 
years ago when we were living overseas, I met with someone who was uh, supporting us financially. And I was just, you know, it's, asking for money is, is always a difficult thing, right? Because it's deeply personal. And I, I remember sitting down with this particular person who had walked with me for years and years. And, and I said, can I just ask you a question? What, what does this look like in your life? And he said to me, I have a lifetime goal that above and beyond what I give to the church, that I would give a million dollars to the sake of foreign missions. This is just a normal guy with a normal job. But he was so rooted and grounded in the thought that everything he had came from him. And for years and years and years while we were overseas, he faithfully walked with us because I know that for his own joy, he wanted to get closer and closer to that goal of saying, in my lifetime, I wanted to be so joyfully generous that I invested sacrificially a million dollars of my income for the sake that the nations might know and love Jesus. I want to leave you with that story as we pray today and prepare our hearts for communion. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church. Thank you.